Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirlow. We're going to talk about the ninth and 10th commandments today. Two for one deal. You're That's getting it. a bargain. Uh, but first, this important message, we're on Mondays and Thursdays, two different programs on Pirate Christian Radio, 4.30 Pacific Time. And uh, if people want to download our programs, uh, what's the website, Bill? The website is www, which you don't have to type in. I think your browser will put that in for you. Godwhisperers.com. Godwhisperers, no space, all lowercase plural, godwhispers.com. And to uh, email us, if you want to email us with some uh, thoughts or comments, criticisms, whatever, uh, we, we'd love to hear from you at godwhispers at gmail.com. Uh, just one note, that's whisperers, not whispers, because people have made that mistake. And, and I'm, I'm told by somebody, and it's true, it's hard to type. Whisperers is is a is a challenge. It's a left hand exercise on the keyboard. Well, so I, since I'm a two finger typist, go slowly. Hard, so go that's... slowly. Typos abound on that, but it's easy to remember. <laughs> God whisperers. Okay, let's launch into this. The ninth and tenth commandments. How how do you want to do this? You you want to well, read them both back to back? Or yeah, we could. Let's or? do that. Let, let's uh, let's uh, let's look at the ninth and the meaning, and the tenth and the meaning, and then we'll kind of uh, bundle them all up as a two for one package. Today. Okay, ninth commandment: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean, Bill? It means we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Okay. Well, there's there's the neighbor's house. Right. right. The ninth the ninth commandment deals with house and I think in in when in the division of 9 and 10 and some some ways of numbering the commandments combine these because it's both they're both about coveting and some split them. In fact, in I believe in Exodus there's it's the same word, but in Deuteronomy it's a slightly different word meaning the same thing for coveting. But it's house and household, I think. So the tenth commandment. So the tenth commandment is household. The contents of the household, namely, you know, wife servants, etc. So the tenth commandment is: you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? Well, I think first of all we should get inclusive here and say spouse, because otherwise things get a little creepy depending on who's saying oh, yeah, this commandment. That's a good but point. you know, unless you're in San Francisco, it might. Be okay. Okay. Uh, but what does it mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, i.e., spouse, workers, or animals, or turn them against him. So don't sick the dog. Don't sick his dog on him, right? <laughs> but but urge them to stay and do their duty. Okay. We're we're. You brought this up, I think, in the Eighth Commandment, and uh, we've talked about this before. I've talked about this to a lot of people. The numbering of the commandments. That it's it's a little confusing. You know, the Calvinists they number them a little different than we do, and uh, I guess the Jewish tradition's a little different than both of us. Uh, you know, fancy words for all this. I just know Calvinists, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Jews, and that sort of thing. You you want to make a little sense of this? Well, the, there are three ways of numbering these things called the Ten Commandments. the The first way 
is according to the Hebrew Masoretic text, which takes seriously the fact that they're not called Ten Commandments, but Ten Words. And, Decalogue. Uh, yeah, Decalogos, the, yeah. the Decalogoi, the ten, the ten words, not not ten laws, not ten commandments, but ten words. And the way the Masoretes divided it up is the first word is actually not a commandment. It's it's I, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And, and what that is is that's the king telling his subject who he is. I'm I'm your king. You're my people. And then what follows are the stipulations. This is what it means to be my people. That's an awful long word. To, well, word. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like the Germans, you know. They just keep oh, yeah, sticking yeah. words together no, it's not, in one it's, giant Farfignugan kind of thing. <laughs> it's not hyphenated or compounded. <laughs> no, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word "davar" is an interesting word because it's also an event, which is very good when it comes to the Word of God. Because when God speaks, it happens, and so and the speaking is an event itself. But uh, no, it doesn't simply refer to uh, an isolated word unit, but it refers to a. a a coherent sentence or speech unit. So, but the first one is 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 a statement of who God is with respect to Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then the second word is you shall have no other gods, etc. And so, in the the Hebrew Masoretic tradition, the first commandment is the way we have it. So it's you shall have no other gods before me. And the business about graven images and all of that is is subsumed under the first commandment. And in order to get ten words, nine and ten, commandments nine and ten are are paired up or are collapsed into one. So that's the Masoretic tradition. The the Hellenized Jewish tradition from Philo has the first commandment being, you shall have no other gods. The second commandment is, you shall not make graven image, graven images. And nine and ten are combined. So you get ten that way. The Augustinian Latin tradition, which we follow, Lutherans and the Roman Catholics follow, is, is to have the first commandment being, you shall have no other gods. The graven images being a commentary on that first commandment. So it's just part of the first commandment. And splitting nine and ten in order to get ten. So here's the rub. So long as you get 10, you're in business. And as uh, we talked about early on when we started this thing, the Ten Commandments are really more of a catechetical construct than they are some kind of formal thing in, in the Scriptures. What, what Luther and what the catechetical tradition has done is just taken these Ten Commandments and used them as a springboard for the diagnosis of sin, for the instruction of the sinner, this kind of thing. So, so I think people make way too much over the numbering and far <laughs> too little over the content of the commandments. So, in essence, you could take uh, no, graven, no graven images and no other gods as two separate ones, and the ninth and tenth commandments, as we have them, as two separate ones. So you could actually end up with eleven, or you can. But eleven would be an uncool number. <laughs> so, so you got to get ten. ten right. Or ten fingers. You know the whole ten. You, thing you could it. combine them both and have nine commandments. Either way, and but it still works because it's all encompassed. Nine. In there. Nine is marginally cool. It's 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 three cubed. So that <laughs> that's no, it's not. It's three squared. So that's not so cool either. Uh, but because ten, it's square. Ten, <laughs> but ten, ten is that number of of divine completeness and everything else. And so, I, I I think it's much more of a formalism than it is actually something inherent in the text. The text literally has ten words, so we're not going to worry about it. Okay. We're combining nine and ten. And I'm going to ask you, going to put you on the spot here. What is the gift 
in the ninth and tenth commandments that that these commandments are built around? What's the, what's the gift? Wow, I would say that the gift here is is. Um, I don't know. You're stumping me all of a sudden. I'm drawing a blank. Uh-oh. The, the gift here would be not only just property, which we aren't to covet each other, but also the gift of contentment. There that's the is. word that I'm trying to Ding. think of. That's, that's right. We have a winner. Is, is not wanting other people's stuff. Content. It, it's, it's contentment. The, the heart that is at rest and peace with what God has given you. And, and here's the fascinating thing I think about this commandment. I love this commandment because you don't do anything. There's no action. Hmm. Like, I could be sitting here right now coveting like crazy, and you wouldn't know it until I acted on that coveting. Well, considering you're looking across the table at me, I would assume that you're coveting. What, what, what in particular might I be just, coveting? Just the glory that is, <laughs> that is. Those plaid shorts you're wearing. These are, I, yeah, these yeah. are sexy. <laughs> You're, you're, I'm, you're, I'm bringing sexy back with your baby. Your newer laptop than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it starts to settle in. Coveting is a little bit like a commandment about coveting is a little bit like a commandment not to yawn. That that the minute the commandment goes out, you'll start yawning like crazy. Yeah, which you're doing right now. I can see you're fighting it. You're, and and everybody, I am. That's all, what's sad is I, I am. I'm sitting here fighting. All it. five like, people who it. are listening to this are doing the same thing right now. They're 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 yawning. I, in fact, I used this in the pulpit one time, and I thought, oh, that's a really bad illustration to be using for a sermon because <laughs> you got a whole lo- room load of people yawning. But but think about it. Don't yawn, and you start to you start to concentrate on it, and and the reflex to yawn settles in. Paul said exactly this in Romans chapter seven. He said, "I was doing great with the commandments until I hit the one that said, don't covet." And then I started coveting like crazy. He said, <laughs> "Sin took hold of the commandment, and it just killed me with coveting." And so he said, "Before that, I was fine. I was fine." But all of a sudden, here comes this commandment. And it's an amazing commandment because it deals exclusively with the heart and it has nothing whatsoever to do mm. with the hands or the outward action. Well, I, I would uh, say that it it could affect your attitude toward others. Mm-hmm. In in that, gosh, I hate that guy. He's got a gorgeous wife and he's got the house on the beach and he's you know. And so we actually start to resent others uh, because of what we're coveting. So yeah. there there could be that kind of an outward effect, but. In general, no. I mean, you sit there quietly and think, hmm, I sure would like one of those. Hmm. <laughs> well, James, you know, James says this. He, he says, he says you, you, you desire and you do not have. James 4, 2. And so you kill. So, so, you know, you're saying that you begin to resent the guy for yeah. what he's got. Pretty soon you hate the guy because, yeah. of, because he's got all this cool stuff. And, and you work just as hard as he does. And, and you expect this equation to work out right. There, there was a guy that I went to seminary with. The guy was just chiseled. He's, you know, spent two hours a day in the gym. Good looking. You know, I wanted to hate this guy, but he was so darn nice. You couldn't hate it. You know, one of those guys is like almost perfect in every way, it seems. Kind of had a man crush there. Huh? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. He, was, he was special. I used to be chiseled. No, never. I've never been chiseled. Well, Buff, yes. Chiseled, no. I've, I've been <laughs> chiseled out of flab. I've been hit <laughs> by a chisel once, but... <laughs> James says, and you covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and wage war. And so he, he kind of sees this this taking root and just, just blossoming into all kinds of murderous activity. Mm. But but the at the heart of it is the heart. And and I find this fascinating. When I when I diagram the commandments, you see this one sits right next to the first commandment because we've looped back to the heart. 
And, and it's the fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And when our hearts are unbuckled from God, they will buckle on or latch on to just about anything and make them their God. And that's the nature of covenant. Yeah, we have to have a God. Yeah. Even if it's me, it has, we have to have a God. I, I use the illustration of Velcro. It's, it's Velcro has two sides. It's got the side with all the little hooks, and it has the side with the fuzzy, the fuzzy side. And if you unhook the two, that hook side will hook onto anything, upholstery, cashmere, sweater, you name it. It'll just it'll latch on to anything. And that's what the heart is when it's become unbuckled from the fear, love, and trust in God. It will latch on to anything. And that is the core of idolatry. And so Paul can say greed equals idolatry. Hmm. And and so this commandment really is 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 parked right next to the first commandment and has looped everything now back to the heart again. It's interesting that in history this seems to have played itself out in a sexual way more than any other way, I think. Wars have been started over women and the need of a particular woman. Not the need of a woman, but the need of a particular woman. I mean, look at David and Bathsheba and what, what occurred because of all of that. Uh, David coveted what wasn't his and ended up killing a guy over it and uh, <laughs> losing his own son over it and all sorts of nonsense. And like I said, you know, wars have been launched over a woman. You know, uh, uh, Cleopatra, uh, all sorts of nonsense goes on. And it's not about women. It's about the coveting, the I need that one. And I think that's one of the things that we need to talk about here is it's not just the want of something. It's the want of the something that isn't yours. Yeah, or that you've not been given. Yeah. And and that's rough because because we, we come to this this realization that God is just not fair. He's good and gracious, but he's not fair. Yeah. My favorite unfair parable is the vineyard workers, where the, he, he goes out and he hires, yeah, these, day, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hires these day laborers uh, at the at crack of dawn, and these are the good workers. So he says, you know, a denarius for a day's work, and they say, deal. And then he's coming up a bit short, so he, uh, he goes out at noon and he hires another round. Now, these guys are a little, <laughs> these are the guys who haven't been picked up in the first round. The, these guys slept in because they had a little too much to drink. Yeah, and, but yeah. they're not exactly the A team. And, <laughs> but he, he hires them, and 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 they figure, well, they're just going to get a proportion of, of, of a day's work, and, uh, and they're just happy to be working. And then he's still short, so so a couple hours before Miller time, he goes out and he hires these absolute losers, and they just put in a you know an hour and a half's worth of work, and they're of course they're all queued up, and they queue up in opposite as, as the parable has it. Uh, they're queued up in, in, in opposite order from once, from which they were hired. And so the, the last hired are the first there. And, 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 he's, and he gives them a full day's wage. Hmm. And so the ones in the back are thinking, oh, man, he's paying, he's paying like quadruple time here. We're going to get like five, six denarii for a day. But they get a day's wage too, and they're really mad. Hmm. And, and you know, kind of the moral of the story is God's not fair. He's, he's gracious. Yeah, you know, he he doles out he doles out however he wishes, and and it's not it's not something earned, and you can't keep book on his grace. But don't hold him to fairness, because if you go <laughs> if you go the fair route, you'll get what you deserve, oh, and yeah. that's not going to be good. We we run into this question as pastors all the time. Oh, you know, it's not fair. I've served God my whole life. I was baptized when I was two days old, and I've grown up in the church, and I've always tried to be a good little boy, and and you know, I I give to the poor and so forth. And then this greedy jerk over here. Uh, goes into the hospital and he's dying of some disease and and you know one day before he dies he realizes 
I need to get right with God here. And the pastor gives him the gospel and baptizes him and he gets to go to heaven. You know, that's not fair. No, that guy got to do whatever he wanted for 80 years. And, you know, here I am just slaving away for God. and, And that's not fair. So you look across the fence. And you see your neighbor's house, and, and he's got the swimming pool and the jacuzzi, and, and he's got the Porsche and the, the Jag in the garage and, and uh, you know, the hot wife. And, and it's, it's just the whole package. And you're schlepping around in, in whatever you got, and, and you, begin, you begin to just envy this guy. Yeah. And you start comparing, and you say, you know, he, he doesn't go to church, as far as I know, and, and he's kind of a conniving businessman. And uh, this guy's got it all. And here I am, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the best, trying to please the Lord, and, and, and I don't have half of what he does. And here's what happens. We begin to hate the neighbor, resent him, and we miss out on every one of the blessings that God has put in our own backyard. Yeah. Because we're always looking over the fence. Right. And I think a lot of times we begin to hate God. Because we say, ain't well, fair. why is God blessing the wicked when, you know, here I am trying to be a good person and he's not blessing me like that? You know, maybe this guy looks at you and, and says, you know, that guy is an upright, decent citizen. And I wish I were like that instead of like the way I am. He may wake up every morning, look in the mirror and say, I hate myself. I, I screw people over all day long to make all this money. And I can't stand myself for doing this. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, uh, also, if, if you look at his car, you're, you know, if you stop and think about it, you're happy you don't have his car payment. Yeah. Or, or the, the bill when he takes, when he takes his, uh, his, his European sports car to some white coat lab, some guy in a white lab coat to tune it up to the tune of about $200 an hour. You know? Yeah, so. I remember uh, back in the 80s, you know, I was a kid and a red Ferrari would drive by. And, Ooh, that's the car that I want. And then I started to find out more about it. Thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars for a tune-up in the early '80s. You know, is like, holy cow. You know, even if you could afford the car, how can you keep it? See, contentment would say, "I'm really glad he has that car. It, <laughs> it, it looks good in the neighborhood, and and I'm really glad he's got the responsibility of keeping that sucker up." Maybe so. I can talk him into giving me a ride. Yeah, that would be nice. I've got a I've got a pastor friend who drives a kind of a convertible sports car, and I always make it a point. Always, it's not you. I know you're giggling. Oh, okay. It's not you, actually, but you do drive a very nice car. Yeah. Um, and I don't. And sometimes I resent that. But let's not get into that. But but I always make it a point. Our pastors' conferences, I said, uh, "Hey, Larry, can can I go ride with you to lunch?" You know. And we just kind of, I call it his babe machine. We're just a couple a couple of pastors in their collar, top top down, wrap around sunglasses, just looking extremely cool. See, but you have the sensible car that will last two hundred thousand miles. Oh, it's 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 nuke proof. So it's He's going to be on his third car by the time you're done with this one. Oh yeah, and 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 mine has been paid off now for five years. Right. So there's a, there's. So something. you have the contentment of not writing a check. He he, he envies my low my my non-payment uh, right now. But so okay, so it can. This is envy. This is coveting someone's particular thing. But if I look at my neighbor and he's got the beautiful 4,500-square-foot house and the swimming pool and the jacuzzi and the Porsche and the beautiful wife, is it wrong to say, gosh, I want to be kind of like that guy? You know, I, I, if I work hard and apply myself, maybe I could achieve something like that. Is that, is that coveting? Well, the wife part, uh, you, you, I'm assuming that you have one. And well, I'm saying, <laughs> you know, maybe... Get her a makeover. Maybe I can find the same plastic surgeon that could build me one. No, that's, see, that's just, that's, that's just <laughs> wicked. That's just wrong. The... 
I think the key here is contentment because because coveting is like a cancer that just sucks away our peace and and it makes us continually restless. And and I think to 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 really look diagnostically at this, it, it's it's not a question of do I want to improve my lot in life? Do I want to get a better job? Or do I want to move my family into a nicer home or something? But the question is, at this very moment where I am, regardless of the circumstances, uh, can I be content with that? If this, is, if this is the best hand I've got, if all it is is a, a pair of twos, can I play the hand? Yeah. You know, I, I love gambling analogies. My favorite gambling analogy is people always want to have a better hand than the one they've got. And, and, you know, God just deals out the hand and says, play it for all it's worth. And in, in my casino, this is going to come up a winner, but you got to trust me. <laughs> and so you're holding a pair of twos, and you're thinking, eh, I'm going to fold on this one. Or you want to draw some better cards, but you can't. you got to play the hand you've got. And I think the real key in this commandment is, can you look around and say with St. Paul, I have learned the secret to be content in any and every circumstance, whether in plenty or in want, uh, you know, whether full or hungry and he says you know the secret is i can do all things through him who gives me strength through christ so you're saying the secret is bluffing (laughs) the secret is christ (laughs) is what it is no it's not bluffing it's christ but you need to you need to look around and 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 it's it's one of those things is can i be content with what i have right now what i would like to look at is is think about this whole business of advertising oh yeah and and we we live in this this society that is built on consumption. I mean, what did they say after nine eleven? How are we going to get the the country back? Go shopping, yeah. And and then then we're involved in a long term war in the Middle East. Well, what are we to do? Are we should we start rationing? Should we uh, go shopping? You know, Christmas time comes. Don't forget to go shopping. It's like your patriotic duty to just buy whether you need it or not. And. Uh, um, our whole economy is built around making people want things they don't need right? or upgrade things that don't need to be upgraded. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my bachelor's degree is business. And uh, so I, I had to study man- uh, marketing and, and whatnot. And one of the most effective things that you could do basically in marketing is creating a scarcity of something. If, if you can, if it's you can rare, convince people, people will go for oh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can con- convince people that this is a one-of-a-kind item, and you're going to get the only one ever made, people will walk on each other to get it. Uh, my wife had a friend who was uh, making jewelry, little trinkets, you know, nothing, no fine stones or anything. And uh, she was set up at Fashion Island in Newport Beach. And she made these pretty earrings, and she was selling them for $12, $15, something like that. And they weren't selling. And finally someone said, make it 500 bucks or something ridiculous like that. And then she couldn't keep them in stock. Why? Because it was, it had such a high value. There must only be a few of them, or one of a kind. I have to have it, and so this leads us into coveting this way, where it's only one of a kind. And that's why I was talking about women earlier, because we're made as people only one of a kind. There's only one of me. Thank God, there's only one of me. We are all thankful yeah, for that. Daily. Uh, I'm thankful of that too. But uh, you know, there's so in relationships when we covet our neighbor's spouse. We're really running into really foul territory here where we're we're coveting of one of the worst sorts, where we're coveting that one-of-a-kind person or one-of-a-kind thing here. Interesting. The, it, it, it goes in two directions. One is it, it alienates our desires and affections into areas where, where we're not given to go. 
You know, it goes back to Jesus looking at a woman lustfully. You've already committed adultery you know, in the Sixth Commandment. Yeah. Uh, here in, in this commandment, uh, coveting uh, those of your neighbor's household, including your neighbor's wife, or in the case of a woman, the husband, you, first of all, your desires and affections and attention is going in the wrong place, the wrong house, wrong household. And secondly, it's diverted away from the husband-wife you do have. And so, so then you're in the business of comparing, you know, who's got the, who's got the better spouse. Oh, I wish, I wish, you know, the wife says, oh, I wish my husband could be more like the guy next door. You know, he's so handy around the house or he's so good looking or he's so good with the kids. And when we start measuring and comparing, we've slipped out of the way of receiving gifts. And now we're, we're, we're catalog shopping. We're like the kid at Christmas who's just looking for the make and model and color and just you know, hand it to the parents. This is what I want for Christmas. It's, That's not a gift. That's putting in orders. Yeah, it's, over to, it's easy to idealize, over-idealize these things because you don't have to live with it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, what's the saying? The grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, in, in looking at it that way, you are, A, neglecting the grass under your own feet, and you have no idea how your neighbor got it that green. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it turns out to be AstroTurf. You know, it's, it's not the real thing. Or are you really willing to put in what it takes to have your grass that green? Yeah, right. The guy's a fertilizer fanatic. He's, and he's the, out there with his tweezers <laughs> every day, you know, one, one at a time, making sure that There right. are suburbs like that in, oh, yeah. in, in, uh, where we live that uh, people are out there with their manicure scissors <laughs> working their lawns. It's crazy stuff. And and their kids hate them, too. So it, it all goes hand in hand. So, Bill, why why the distinction with these two commandments? What, why house and why household? What, what What's behind that? Do you have any idea? Well, it, it, that's the Exodus version. In Deuteronomy, the, the distinction is not quite so clear. And, and, and I think it's just a formalism. I, I think one deals with with the man the, the your neighbor's the roof over his head his his house his 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 property belongings that way and the other has to do with the members of his household and if you look it 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 kind of runs that that list from spouse to servants Hmm. Um, and we don't live in a society that that pretty much has servants but but uh, we make the extension to employees and and that sort of thing, which leads to some interesting questions too. If we oh, apply yeah. it this way, is it legit? Uh, say you're an employer. Say you own a company. Is it legit to go and lure and steal other people's employees away from them? Ooh. To disable, say to to put your competitor at a disadvantage by hiring away his key engineer, or something like that. I, I, you know, the the question is, does the commandment speak to something like that? I think of a situation that is uh, not too far removed from my life where there uh, was a split in a company, uh, basically a mutiny in the company, and one person walked out and tried to entice away as many employees as they could, and uh, it just kind of caused this big hubbub here and everything. And and the employees that wouldn't leave were branded as jerks by this other person. And, you know, I mean, it just causes all this this craziness that goes on around all of this i remember my my days in chemistry you know before i went to the seminary i was uh, i was a chemist and worked in chemical industry and we were like mercenaries we were like hired guns and and when you got upset with the company you just made a few phone calls to some competitors and and let it be known you were not really happy and uh you'd start having lunch with with uh <laughs> with the other company and then the word would get back and yeah. and if you were of any value at all all of a sudden boom mid mid 
mid-year raise and, and all kinds of things. Or we'd go to trade shows, and there would be people, when, when the, especially when the research people went to a trade show, they always uh, had a marketing executive or something trailing us or, or watching us just to make sure we weren't out uh, kind of <laughs> kind of uh, casting our, our bait into the water. Big, there. Brother, or, big brother is watching. Yeah, or, or somebody was fishing for us, at least for trade secrets, if not just for us. And, wow. and uh and you, you really wonder about that, or I wonder about this commandment as the Christian businessman. I, I have a number of businessmen in my congregation, and, and they all say the same thing to me. It is very tough to be a Christian and a businessman in a competitive, uh, a consumer-driven, capitalist, competitive kind of economy where where your competitor is just, just out to screw you every which way, mm-hmm. and, and you're trying to maintain some kind of ethic. It's very, very difficult. We need to take a break. Uh, You're listening to The God Whispers on Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back to the God Whispers. We're talking about the ninth and tenth commandments, but first, this important message. <laughs> yeah, don't forget uh, you can you can get all the back episodes of of God Whispers and and some current commentary at uh, our website, GodWhispers.com. That's Whisperers plural. GodWhispers.com. And if you want to send us something to uh, consider as a topic or a question or comment that you might have, uh, write us at godwhispers at gmail.com, godwhispers at gmail.com. You know, before we took our break, we were talking about professional covetousness and coveting um, other people's employees and, and so forth. The thing that I covet as a pastor a nice bathroom in a church. I, I really covet that. For yourself in the executive suite? Ooh, or? That would be even better. Oh, a, yeah. A nice shower, maybe a little jacuzzi tub in there. But when I go to a church that has a really nice tiled bathroom and maybe the automatic faucets and the the paper holders that you just wave your hand at her and the paper comes out and just, just amazing stuff like that, I kind of get a little covetous because our little church, we've, we've just got old bathrooms and boy, they need a, they need a rehab. Old bathrooms have a very unique smell to them. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's that, it's that, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago. It's, it's that subway, that subway odor. I, I don't know. At some point you just have to scrape it and start over when it comes to those bathrooms. <laughs> as, as the French say, a je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I don't know whether you know the name Anthony Bourdain or not, but he's a, he's kind of a, a restaurant bad boy. He wrote a, a book called Kitchen Confidential. He's kind of, he's telling all the dirty trade secrets of, of the restaurant business. And he himself is executive chef of some uh, some sort of bistro type restaurant in New York, but but he um, he he talks about you can instantly get a take on a restaurant just by going in the bathroom hmm. because he says bathrooms easy to keep clean, yeah. but uh, if if the place can't keep a bathroom clean, you know it can't keep a prep, prep kitchen clean. So just hightail it on right out of there. And well, I hope people don't apply the same criteria to our churches. I, I was about to say, <laughs> even if I had a nice bathroom, you probably better not look in my office. Yeah, well, <laughs> nor mine. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, pastoral coveting is a and and I, since we're both pastors, I, I think it's something worth at least talking about a little bit because we are certainly not without sin there. But you know, I find myself we go to pastors' conferences and and 
for all the life of me, a pastor's conference, from my experience, is like letting a bunch of bulldogs loose in a backyard, and they're all lifting their legs and pissing on their various posts to mark <laughs> their territories. So we, we're always asking, we're, we lie, how's it going in your parish? It's always going great. We're bringing in tons of new members, and, and the place is packed, and the programs are just going like wildfire and, and everything. Nobody ever says we're about to close the door, yeah. the budget is broke, we can't afford to pay the electricity. You know, it <laughs> doesn't go there and it's, it's this constant sort of one-upsmanship yeah that that goes on and and you find yourself uh coveting your brother's call uh oh, yeah. the pipe organ or whatever it is that they do for music over there or at least uh the the 500 smiling faces that show up on sunday morning i i love this question how many do you worship on sunday <laughs> my answer is always we have one god i don't know how many you have three <laughs> Or one, depending on how you count it. <laughs> we worship the the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity. <laughs> how many do you worship? Yeah, that's that, a well. That's, that, always... that's a that's kind of an idolatrous statement right there. Yeah, is, what's really the object is. of your worship? Uh, how many worship it would be okay? That would be yeah. Uh, and even then, it's kind of tricky because we do have the angels, archangels, and all the company oh, of heaven. Yeah. So uh, you we're, know, we're joining in on that one. A great too. multitude, no one can count. And the whole church here on earth and. Beyond. Including the ushers, yeah. so yeah. The, <laughs> but this 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 coveting as pastors. I mean, we covet each other's buildings. We covet each other's parishioners. We covet each other's budgets. We covet. I, you know, I, I was telling you, uh, I think at the break that my dad was a doctor. And I'd get together with my dad and his friends who were doctors. You never heard a doctor say, "How many patients do you have?" They they talk medicine. And they talk about creeps down at the hospital, perhaps, but they wouldn't talk about how many patients do you have. It just seems crass. And Why vulgar. is that? Why is that? Do you think? I, what's the difference? It should be roughly analogous. At some I don't level. know. I, it doesn't. I, it just doesn't enter their vocabulary no. to go and 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 do post pissing like that. I, I think. I'm sure doctors have their own version oh, yeah, of it, though. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the thing, though, is for a doctor, their work is much more tangible than ours is. If, if they pull someone through a crisis, the, the reward is in, I healed this person. You know, God gave me. Well, and they're the kind of heroes the, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that the people idolize their doctor. If if a pastor pulls somebody through a crisis, they're usually mad at him for how how he got pulled through. Right. Or well, he's just doing his job. Or I, I like to say, you, you know, a couple comes in in crisis and, and they come to the pastor and they may not agree on much, but they'll agree on this. They both hate the pastor by the time <laughs> the thing is over. And so that's kind of the beginning toward reconciliation, I suppose. Just hating the pastor. You know, I've, I've, I've sometimes wondered whether whether churches should do like the, the NBA or the NFL and, and we'll just have like trading deadlines between somewhere between Christmas or, or after Easter before the beginning of Advent where we can trade members and perhaps an elder or trustee to be named later wow you know it'd be kind of interesting yeah well uh, you and i have swapped a few parishioners or, yeah we, what, we, should I say? we have you just you just send yours my we have here. trafficked in parishioners <laughs> uh and and see and congregation people do that too they yeah. look they they look they look across the fence at another congregation and they say oh this one meets my needs a lot better you know, they have the dynamic youth group or they have the great music program or whatever it is they're looking for. Yeah. And and so, it again, the focus is on my needs. Yeah. yeah. Not, not where, where am I called to serve 
or or where can I give a chunk of myself away? But but what do I need, and where can I get that need filled? And if it's not here, well, I got to go shopping for somewhere else. I'm having a radical thought here. Our parishioners sometimes will go church shopping like this. Why can't we parishioner shop? Well, some do, I think. But <laughs> well, that that brings <laughs> be up kind the of whole... selective, you know. I'm looking for some good elder material. Yeah. Uh, well, that that brings up the whole subject, also, of what we call sheep stealing in the church sometimes, where uh, we will actually—I say we in the broader sense, because I try not to do this—but actually appeal to certain parishioners of another church and try to uh, get them into our church. And there's there's a, a tension and a struggle and a justification that goes on in this that if we're preaching good doctrine over here and uh, keeping good worship over here and uh, they've got some sort of craziness going on over there shouldn't we try to draw them toward the gospel and toward what is what is sound and solid see i tend not to actually if 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 it's somebody from a neighboring church um especially within our fellowship i i do make them go back to their church and talk to their pastor and their elders, and if they're discontent about something, to at least air that discontent and not go slithering out the back door. Yeah. I think we've got too much of this going on. I think yeah, it's, that's, that's a good point. It's though, weakening it's... the church because we're not being honest with each other. And, and so you're just having a lot of reshuffling of Christians. You're not really, you're not really uh, engaged in evangelizing the unevangelized or baptizing the unbaptized. It's just reshuffling the deck. Hmm. Yeah, uh, within our own fellowships, I could certainly understand that. But then there are uh, Christian churches out there that are clearly deficient in their understanding of the gospel and of uh, sacraments and all the rest of that sort of thing. Is it wrong for us to go after some of those people? I'm thinking uh, the Harvest Crusades are coming up out here in Southern California. Would it be wrong for me to go stand in the parking lot and hand out tracts about the gospel is understood by Lutherans. Did you get one of the calls from them? They're always calling all the local clergy to get involved. I don't answer the phone Wh- in the church. Well, <laughs> which I find kind of ironic because the, behind closed doors, they'll talk about how we're false churches or how we're teaching falsely and, and, and all of this stuff, especially with regard to baptism. Oh, yeah. and that. But when it comes time for the big show and the, and, and the big crusade in the stadium, well, let's get all the clergy. We're all on the same page here. Get your people out here. Isn't it great how we can all get together and praise the Lord? And, yeah, uh, so maybe your parishioners will get swept up in the excitement and join their church. It, which happens. Yeah. Which, which yeah. unfortunately happens. But I, I love one of them said on the radio, I won't say who, but he said the Lutheran church is a cult because they worship the cross. <laughs> there you go. I thought, well, uh, you don't understand our theology. We don't worship the cross. We worship the one who hanged on the cross. <laughs> worship the cross. Yeah. That's hung, by the way. Well, hung, hanged. Hanged. Whatever. Can you say hanged? Well, Hunged. Yeah. Well, and and this is this is just an inability to deal with symbol, and and uh, and that bunch is uniquely unable to deal with symbol. Though I've seen they have crosses too, and and doves, mostly and doves. doves. Yeah, doves. So so what does this mean? Numopassionism. Yeah, that's right. That the spirit died the, on the, the cross was for crucified. For those of you who so and, and that's and theological and, geekery. Yeah. Another area in this of this 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 lack of contentment, and I hate to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up. Yeah, and that is when I read, but urge them to stay and do their duty regarding your neighbor's wife, husband, workers, animals, even saying don't lay out that that 
dish of food for the cat there and, and lure him over. But but here's what I'm thinking is is the way in which pastors move around congregations. Huh. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've had a I've had a, a few calls. And now I'm not saying there's anything wrong inherently with it. This is this is the way at least our our church body and polity works these things. But it's always given me some misgivings of conscience, and and that is, here I am in in a congregation that I know really well. I know where all the the the, the dead grass is, so to speak, and now I get this opportunity to sort of uh, check out another congregation. Yeah, you know, and and they've got the pipe organ, and they've got the, all the whiz bang programs, and 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 the good bathrooms. Yeah. Oh. You know, and 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 so so then I go and visit, and and I love the whole process where you you announce to your congregation, you've got a call, and then they're then they're. It's like it's like the peasants. They've got weapons and lanterns. They're ready to go. And, uh, or you get the you know, please pray with me. And 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 some people in the congregation are are praying, please God, don't let him go. And others are praying, please let him go. And what's a God to do? I, so. those, those are the ones that come to you and say, Pastor, it's a divine call. God has called you to this congregation. You must go. Well, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, are you sure about that? And and it's weird. It, it's kind of like God saying, okay, guess 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 what guess what's in my hand. And and I just have a real hard time with with this whole notion that that that. Somebody can disturb the peace in another congregation just by calling a pastor. Or we, and of course, they'll say, "Well, you put your name on." Well, you really don't. Somebody yeah. will call and say, "Do you have any objection with having your name on a call list?" And that's that's a really weird question to answer. It's if you answer no, then then at least in our way of thinking, you've ruled out all possibilities. If you answer yes, you're basically saying, yeah, I got one foot out the door. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's see, you know, make me an offer, see how it looks. I had a church in a state that I'd rather not go to uh, give me a phone call and say, would you, would you be interested in being on our phone uh, or on our call list? And I said, well, uh, unless you're paying me a six-digit income and giving me a free car, I don't think I'd be too interested, <laughs> which, of course, scares them off right away. Uh, but <laughs> but it, the, whole, the whole idea of a, a divine call of, of God uh, locating us in a place to serve, um, it just seems to get all jammed by this, this offer to kind of move up in, in the ecclesiastical world. Oh, yeah. I had a pastor one time tell me, he told me that you really should have three parishes, at least in your, your lifetime, as a starter parish where you kind of screw everything up and then leave before they run you out, uh, a career parish where you make your legacy and your mark, and then a retirement parish in some nice place where you and your wife can kind of settle down and own some acreage and a horse or whatever it is your heart's desire is and you know, kind of settle in there. And I, I just found that really kind of offensive. Because I, I was I was taught that that where you were called, God wanted you, and until He was done with you there, and and I, by done with you there means maybe nobody shows up on Sunday anymore. <laughs> so that's pretty clear. It's time to move on. That you're to stay put and do your duty. I, I don't. So I'm I'm conflicted in that. Well, there there are those prestigious congregations also. They're they're well healed, you know, financially, and they they have big numbers and so forth and so on. And to pastor a church like that is a feather in your cap. Personally, I'm too lazy for it. But you know, <laughs> well, I've always I've always gone with, with Eugene Peterson's uh, statement, and, and he stayed put in in all of his career as a Presbyterian minister. But he uh, he said something like, 
I never wanted a congregation with more people than whose names yeah. I could remember. Yeah, I read that too. Which is a, a remarkably pastoral kind of statement. And seeing as how I have a very limited memory for names, that, that's a very limiting thing uh, in, in, in my book. So we, we are given to covet in our, you know, we're, we're speaking as pastors because this is our reality. This is what we know. And I'm sure it goes on in every profession, in every way. Uh, it goes on in your neighborhood. It goes on in your church. It goes on in, at the country club or at the gym. It goes on all sorts of places. What are we to keep in mind of God's grace in this? What, what are the is there a, a bless or, or a, a curse associated with this that God makes in particular, or is it just that um, we are? Are to not do this, and we have the blessing of being content. Well, I, I think there is the the flip side, the consequences, or or the um, inherent punishments, as you as it were, and that is that we, lacking contentment, are ever restless. That that we never find peace, and and we never enjoy enjoyment in the the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a gift from God, that a man can enjoy the fruits of his labors and eat and drink with joy all the days of his meaningless life. (laughs) I love how it says that. But this is a gift from God uh, that that we can enjoy our daily bread, Uh, whether whether it's caviar or whether it literally is a piece of peasant bread and and a chunk of cheese or something. Um, and, And I think... We, we're robbing ourselves when we're constantly looking at another table or at another house or across the fence. Yeah. We're robbing ourselves of the, the, the manifold goodness, the gifts that come to us that God has put in front of us, and we're almost blinded to the blessings that we have. You know, this reminds me of a book that I once read, a business book, about uh, the, the story was being told about this guy who goes down to Mexico, and there's an old guy down there with a fishing boat, the guy goes out for about two hours in the morning, catches a bunch of fish, comes home, takes a siesta, sits around, plays his guitar and drinks wine with his grandchildren playing around his ankles. And there he is. And the businessman from America comes and says, you know, you've got a good thing here. You've, you've got really good fishing off the coast here. You know, I could help you. You could buy a fleet of boats and, and you could buy all these boats and make all this money. And then you could afford to uh, get more boats and more people working for you. And then you could just do this as a hobby and you could have more time to spend with your family and, and sit around and play your guitar. And the guy says, well, I already have that. Why would I want to go through all that? You know, <laughs> You're complicating it, my it, life. It doesn't here. make sense for me to go out and, and kill myself here to have what I already have. And that's, that's contentment, uh, you know, to have what you have and to be grateful for it. And I think that's part of the thing also is gratitude. Um, a lot of people in America, we don't really appreciate what we have until we leave our country and go see what poverty really looks like. Yeah. In, in America, our poor people are fat. In other countries, poor people are dying of starvation. Well, I, I remember a, a trip, and I wasn't looking at poverty, although there were, there were some examples of it. I, but I went to, to Siberia. Uh, to do some teaching there, and what what impressed me, and this was this was in the city. Novosibirsk is, is quite a metropolitan city in Siberia. Uh, Siberia is not not all just bunches of snow and tundra, but but what impressed me there is you had a very depressed economy, hmm. and and what it, what impressed me was how much the people and and the churches too, how much they were able to do with so very little. 
Mm. And then to come back home and realize how little we do with so very much. Uh, the, the contrast was, was really quite amazing, and, and you, began to, you began to see that, that uh, we just have tremendous amount of resources at our disposal. Yeah. And you, you forget. You just kind of, you're looking around and say, oh, I need better. I, I need some, we need to have this or we can't get started. Our wealth distracts us from what's really important. I like, uh, I like St. Paul in First Timothy. He, he, first, he begins by saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. So that's 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 the that's kind of the magic formula is is is, is godliness uh, coupled with with the the quiet contentment a uh, heart at rest. He says if we have food and clothing we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money I need to underline that the love of money not money money is not the root of all evil the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Also not all evil, all sorts of evil, or all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil, yeah. yes. A lot of people will say, oh, the love of money is the root of all evil. So if you're just poor, you'll be okay. And that takes <laughs> us into like liberation theology and all sorts of craziness there. You know, if you're, Redistribution. If you're poor, you're inclined to steal. So you run afoul of yeah. another commandment. Um, well, you know, that brings up something else. A lot of people who, who do struggle financially start to justify their bad behavior by saying, well, the rich people, they have more than they really need. So it's okay if I just take some of their stuff. Yeah, and and again, see that's that's overruling God. Yeah. It's it's judging God, saying God's not fair, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna level out the balances here because in in my calculus, every you know everything comes out even, and so I'm gonna take it upon myself to uh, overrule God. Yeah, we'll, we'll just reapportion. And and as we talked about under under the the seventh commandment, it doesn't quite work that way. Is is that the rich are given to give, and the poor are given to receive. And and in that, God is is illustrating something very profound about how he works and about how, how his grace operates. Yeah. To whom much is given, much is required. We we tend to spiritualize that and just say, well, that, that means we've been given much in the way of God's grace and, and forgiveness, so we should give much of God's forgiveness and forgiveness to others and so forth. But also that is toward us financially and toward us in our stations in life. You know, God has blessed us a lot. Why should we not bless our neighbors? You know, I, I, I look at the, the current crisis that, that we're in economically, and there, we've had some bank runs uh, in our neck of the woods here in Southern California. My wife is in banking, and so she keeps uh, close tabs on all of this. And a lot of the stuff that's going on is the result of greed, basically trying to make a quick buck, yeah. trying to capitalize on the misfortune of other people, uh, driving housing prices way high. Capitalizing on ignorance of people. Capitalizing on people's ignorance, lying and cheating to get something that you don't have. And and it has this accumulated effect then where all of us suffer because because there's, there's all of this grabbing and acquiring going on or desire to acquire uh, without the means for having it. And in the end, nobody is content. Uh, in fact, their lives are thrown into disarray and upheaval. Yeah. Uh, and and those of us who try to live within our means are now being forced to pay for what others do. Potentially, yeah. yeah. I remember an, an old couple in my congregation. They're they're both uh, departed with the Lord now, or they're they're, they're both with the Lord. But uh, uh, they lived through the depression, and they they were cool people. They they were extremely frugal. They never threw away a piece of tin foil or anything. It was just a, a, an amazing <laughs> sort of. 
But um, they they were two of the happiest people I've ever met in, in terms of having little and getting maximum enjoyment out of it. And that's that's the thing that I always noticed is that they got maximum enjoyment out of stuff. So he'd plant his own tomatoes, and those things just brought the greatest joy to his heart huh. to to uh, to go out and pick a tomato. Uh, or to go and 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 just just get something from get a get a, a lemon off the lemon tree was just a huge joy for him, and uh, they didn't have very much. They they were they were very frugal uh, people, but they learned to live through a very difficult time and not to have that uh, that poverty diminish their joy. They're very joyful people and rejoiced in the things that they had. I think a lot of us also covet that is just that attitude. We wish that we could have an attitude like that, but. I need the big screen TV, and I need this, and I need that. And, <laughs> and need I'm it. just not going to be happy until I yeah, get one. but gosh, it would be nice to get back to the earth and live a simple life, but they don't have plasma TVs if you're doing that. and you know, So you're kind of torn between the materialism and what you recognize is actually a good thing there. And it's uh, Anyway. You know, getting, getting to sort of the baptismal Christological part of all of this, too, is, is that like everything else, you know, Christ lives, he, he lived our humanity and our flesh, and, and, and he was tempted with the, the glory and the glitter and the power of this world. It was one of his temptations. Certainly. You know, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of this earth and their glory, and he said, it's all yours. You and me, what a team. Just bow down and worship me. And and uh, who would know, right? And and Jesus uh, said the big no on behalf of all of humanity. This is not how uh, this is not how it works. You, know, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And uh, I I think when you look at it baptismally, what does Paul say? That we've died, we've been buried with Christ, we've been crucified with Him. Baptismally, we've been been put into his death. We've literally died to the world. This gives us freedom to hold all of our stuff with an open kind of dead hand to enjoy it. If we have it, like Ecclesiastes says, enjoy it. It's a gift from God. If we lose it, hey, no big deal. Uh, it, it doesn't mean anything anyway in the long run. And I think it's in that spirit that Paul says in, in Colossians 3, to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, because earlier he says that you've been glorified in Christ. Your, your life is hidden with God in Christ. Uh, and so set your mind on things above. And, and, and he includes in that sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, he greed. says, which is idolatry. He says, put that to death. Drown it. Bury it. Because that's not, that's not your life. Your life's in Christ, and, and you are richer beyond measure in Christ. Right. Where are you laying up your treasures, here on earth or in heaven? And as Christians, we have this... This future vision, I guess you could say, where our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the life to come with Christ in heaven. And so it's easier to let go of things here. It's just not that important. It's not going to last. It's going to rust. It's going to be... And know, enjoy them away. while you have them. Sure. I, sure. I, I get a little short on this. this the, you know, when you encounter Christians, that, that, that they act as though they want to become monks. <laughs> but they really don't, you know. Oh, I'm 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 giving up a lot of stuff. I'm 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 leading the simple life. They're saying this behind the wheel of a Mercedes, you know. And <laughs> there's there's uh, nothing wrong with being ambitious, but what's the end of it? I guess you would say. What What's the goal here? Is it Is it I'm ambitious so that I might enjoy life and share that enjoyment with those around me, or is it I'm ambitious so that I can have more and more and more and more and there's never enough? Uh, but 
like I was saying, for the Christian, our hope is in what is to come, the feast that will have no end. Which we have already. Yes. And, and having those things... And, and that's why Jesus reminds His disciples when He's preaching to them in this, this Sermon on the Mount. He's laying out this new Torah for them. And, and he's, he says, he says don't, don't consume your life worrying continually about what you will eat or what you will wear, or what you will drink. He says, the pagans run after this stuff. Your heavenly Father knows you need them too. Uh, and he knows even before you ask what you need. But he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I think I might have mentioned this before uh, in the seventh commandment, but Martin Luther made a statement that the hand is broken into fingers so that money may slip through it easily. <laughs> Do you have a reference for that? That's uh, a good one. No, but I did read it in a book. That that's was a, that's a, a bunch good of Luther one. Sayings. Look it up in what does Luther say? Yeah, it might be yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. But Luther was given to just giving away the farm. As a matter of fact, Katie had to reel it in a lot. She had to hide stuff, from what I understand. You know, because but he was he, always giving it away. Yeah, he'd give away the candlesticks and <laughs> everything. You know, because why? You know, I don't need this. I'm I'm set. Of course, you know I'll. Luther needed was his books and he'd be okay. But <laughs> that was the way that he rolled. So anyway, to have this charitable heart is truly a blessing to those around you. And God is certainly charitable to us. He's modeled it to us in the first place because he didn't have to come and become one of us and be, you know, uh, an atoning sacrifice for our stupidity. And yet he has so much that he just comes and shares his grace with us. Well, he, though being rich, yet he became poor, that in his poverty we might become rich. And and being rich in eternal treasures, this gives us a freedom to, I think, really enjoy the, the blessings that we have. And and the greatest joy is really, I, I think, in sharing them. That the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the rich man ate alone. You know, Lazarus down at the end of his his his, his, uh, his driveway. But the rich man ate alone. Hmm. But what great joy it is to to share that table with others, to have a, a table load of people, and and you know to be to have that kind of fellowship, or to to uh, to bring joy to others with the possessions you have. Uh, that, that's a fun thing to watch when you have somebody that that really kind of gets it and holds what they have with this really dead hand. Um, it's no biggie to loan it out. Here, have yeah. a, have a ball, you know, and 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 they're they're free. And in that freedom, they really do enjoy uh, the gifts that they have. Sure. And if people take advantage of you, if you can just have the attitude of it's just stuff, it's just money. <laughs> really there's is. there's more where that came from. I can always make another paycheck, you know. And uh, you, if you could just have this kind of freedom with with what God has given you, uh, you'll be free from it. Uh, I I mentioned before. Uh, that statement that uh, he who owns much is much owned. And so if you just kind of hold it in the Lord's hands instead of your own, then it's really not a big deal. Yeah, and it's not to condemn being rich either. No, you know, no, Abraham no, was all. rich, and there are plenty of rich people. There's some rich people in the New Testament that made yeah. a lot of things possible. But the possibilities are there just because they, they, they hold it with that dead hand of faith that says, in Christ I have everything. Well, that's it for this time. Next time we'll be talking about the summary of the Ten Commandments, what it all means, and how it can apply to your life.